her love is the thing that allowed me to heal. Her love is the thing that allowed me to be myself. Her love and her safety and like the container of our relationship has been the most profound thing in my life because it's this like, I believe that I'm lovable now and I didn't before. This is episode 27, the epic love story of Nick and Catherine North. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast about love, sex, and identity in the modern world. I'm your host, Jared Matthew Weiss. Each week, I chat with an inspiring person that will help you expand your mind, open your heart, and give you one thing to think about on your journey towards great love. Thanks for hanging with me today. Here we go. It takes great courage to be yourself especially when it's in pursuit of love, sex, and romance. Because when we express our most genuine thoughts and feelings, desires and boundaries, fears and fantasies, we may end up with the love of our lives, but we also run the risk of being rejected and abandoned, which from a biological, psychological, and sociological perspective can have very serious consequences. As humans, we are hardwired for connection And anything that poses a threat to our sense of belonging, whether in bed, in love, or in life, can feel like too much to risk. So often, we suck it up. We don't use our voices. We don't ask for what we want or need. We avoid conflict at all costs. But over time, it turns out that the aloneness we feel when we're with someone who loves us for the wrong reasons is far worse than the aloneness we feel when we're actually alone. On today's episode of Touchpoint, I sit down with two of the bravest people I've ever met. Their life stories, both individually and collectively, stand as prismatic examples of the messes we create when we do not show up as ourselves, the magic we experience when we do, and the practices that keep us from totally losing our shit when who we are isn't enough for other people. I first met Nick and Catherine in Marfa, Texas at a week-long creative conference called Yeah Field Trip. I was hosting a town hall about love and sex, obviously, and they were sitting right up front. When I asked people to share what comes up for them when I said the word sex, Nick shouted out, this morning. He and Catherine were all cuddled up together. It was very cute. Everyone laughed. I turned my attention their way. So how long have you two been together, I asked. About five years, they said. And how was the sex you were having five years ago different than the sex you had this morning? They looked at each other lovingly. Well, for one, said Nick, I was a woman then. The room was still. It was a powerful moment. They proceeded to share a few bits of what I consider to be one of the most courageous love stories I've ever heard. It's a story of overcoming poverty, shame, gender and sexual oppression, friendship, family, parenting, intimacy, and above all things, choosing the bravery to be yourself. I'm grateful that Nick and Catherine agreed to sit with me and share their story. It has changed my life. They have touched my heart, and I'm honored and privileged to bring this story to you. I hope it gives you more permission to be whoever you are, in bed, in love, and in life. Thanks for listening. Here we go. I'm sitting here with Nick and Catherine North. 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 Nick and Catherine North, a very happy couple. You live in Calgary, Alberta. 
Calgary, Alberta. Wow. And how long have the two of you been married? We have been married for almost three years. Almost three years. How long have you known each other? Five years. You've known each other five years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you have children. Yes. So we're a blended family and together we have five. Okay. And blended in which way? How to, where, there how many kids are, are yours together? So I had one child. Okay. Biologically. Nick actually had four of our children. Wow. So many. Okay. And do all five children live in your home? Yes. Wow. So there's the five kids and the two of you in Calgary, Alberta. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I had a puppy. And a puppy. What's mm-hmm. the puppy's name? Wallace. Wallace. Okay. And and was Wallace? Did Wallace join the family? Is Wallace also like a child from before? No. Wallace is our is our only uh, our only joint our baby. Joint baby. <laughs> okay. Cool. She might be the death of me. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Beautiful. Well, I was really taken with your love story, and um, I thought that our community of listeners um, now and in the future uh, would be inspired to learn more about your love story. Uh, So um, I think I would love to start actually with Catherine. So Catherine, talk to me a little bit about where you're from and, you know, your, your life prior to meeting Nick. Um, Where I'm from is one of those complicated questions for me. I actually spent most of my childhood in Tokyo My parents are Christian evangelical missionaries, so I was an MK, a missionary kid. I grew up steeped in religion. Um, And then when I started university, I went to Philadelphia. I went to Bryn Mawr College, which is basically the most feminist, non-Christian place you can possibly find. I was like, please take me there as quickly as I can get there. Um, And then I really struggled with my relationship with religion until my early 20s, where I left the church and my job and an ill-advised early marriage in like a fiery blaze of glory. Well, you were married in college? I was married in college. How old were you when you got married? 21. And you were married, uh, how did you meet this person that you were married to? He was a camp counselor at the Christian <laughs> camp I went to. Okay. And, <laughs> and you were married at 21? Yes. You met him at 21? No, I met him when I was like 17. Wow. And how old was he? Uh, see, when we got married, he was 23. Okay. So when he met you, he was 19. 19. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So you get married. You're at Bryn Mawr. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, you know, and, and again, I'll ask questions. And if you don't want to answer them, don't answer them. It's fine. If you decide that you want to answer them, you start talking, and you're like, actually, I don't want to share this. You'll stop talking and everything will be perfect. So... Was this the first person that you, had you had sex with him? Did you sleep with him? Oh my gosh, no. I was a virgin on my wedding night. Okay. Terrible idea. Don't recommend it. (laughs) Um, But I was trying so hard to be a good Christian and be a good girl and do it all right. Um, And what happened was that I got very, very depressed. I was trying so hard to live this life. And the truth is, even though I grew up, you know, hearing all about Jesus in Sunday school, like my deep, dark secret was that I never felt it inside me. Yeah. And so it had never felt right. So in my early 20s, I had to make a really dramatic choice. I was either going to stay in the church and stay with my husband and, you know, keep everyone in my life happy or I had to do something really drastic. And I was desperate enough and unhappy enough that I chose to blow up my whole life. I moved to Chicago 
I became a very successful beatnik. I drank a lot of cheap gin and I smoked a lot of cigarettes and I had some scandalous sex for the very first time in my life. And it was so healing. Like I did all these bad things. What's scandalous sex? Well, any sex is scandalous. You know, when you come from my background. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had sex with people I wasn't married to. I had sex with more than, you know, one partner that I was supposed to have my whole life. Mm -hmm. And it was a really, really healing time in my life. It was so good for me. I got into therapy. Um, Why Chicago? That's just where my brother happened to live. Oh, okay. So you had family there and and felt like a good place. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how was your relationship with your brother then? Oh, it's good. It's good. Was he also like veering from mom and mom and dad's uh, plans of, uh, you know, being an MK? Yeah, he was still a little bit more under the radar. He was a little more like stealth with it than I was. He was smarter that way. I just went for the like the big. Yeah. How did your parents feel? Oh, my poor parents. They were so heartbroken and they are just the sweetest, loveliest people you could ever meet. Mm. They're full of love and I just broke their hearts and it was terrible, but I had to do it. You know, I was so desperate. I was like, I am going to die. Like, I really, I'm going to kill myself because I just cannot keep living like this. Were you suicidal? I was, yeah. You were? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I just, I, I like parachuted out of that life that was supposed to be everything I'd ever been taught was good. And I went and I did all these things that were quote unquote bad. And I finally started to heal. Yeah. And I started to become a whole person. Okay. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. So we're going to hold right there. Okay. And now let's go over to to Nick. Okay. Now, Nick, talk to us about where you come from, your childhood, your upbringing. Yeah. So I grew up in like a small, poor, like GM town. The thing that's that was in that town was like a GM plant and um, the Hells Angels capital for Canada. So that's where I grew up and my parents were divorced and my dad was sort of like um, a little bit in and out. Just, you know, he got remarried and had kids with her and sort of lived his own thing um, and didn't get along with my mom well. And my mom was sort of like trying to find someone to make her happy. So it was a slew of different people. Um, And my grandma mostly raised me and I grew up pretty poor and pretty like mm, chaotic. But, um, but my grandma was always sort of this constant there and like, I was fine. I just, it was rough, but it was good. Uh, And um, I was assigned female at birth. So I grew up as this like tomboy who just didn't understand why I couldn't be like the actual boys, like why I couldn't have, um, like why I couldn't just run around without a shirt on and my, and like my Ninja Turtle underwear, just like, cause you know, Leonardo was the coolest. Uh, he was so responsible with his swords. It was just, it was a big deal for me. Uh, I, I mean, it's funny because part of me was like a bit of a Shredder fan. Mm, it's like, a little you know, bit, yeah. You know, it's the like, contrarian. oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, it was really, it was this thing where like I knew that I was different. I knew that like when I was playing with all my friends and everyone was imagining like their husband, I was imagining my wife. And, um, and I, I don't know that like as a kid, I don't think that I realized that like, oh, that would mean that I'm gay. It was more like, oh, because I'm in the wrong body and they don't realize that I'm a boy. Um, and I remember my grandma sitting with me on the stairs and just being like, sorry, kid, like this isn't going to happen for you. Like you have what you have. You better make the best of it. And I was like, 
Are you so you would talk about this with yeah your with my grandma yeah so can we i i just want to make sure that we like address some of the things mm-hmm. that you've mentioned because for many people like i've had the i've had the the blessing of being able to first of all be in new york mm-hmm. right where it's just like it's representative of the whole world in many ways yeah. and also i've been able to sit in this circle and meet so many different people and hear so many different perspectives but for many people who listen to our podcast like they live in these small towns you mm-hmm. know they they live in the gm small town and there's and many of them are mks and like, so, you know, you've used terms already as like assigned female at birth or, you know, and you've also brought up this, this, you know, idea of feeling like you were born in, you know, that you're, they're actually a boy and that you're thinking about your, your, your wife, but you're not gay. Like, these are just yeah. things that like, you know, these are like actually very complicated for, you know, many of us mm-hmm. to even wrap our heads around. So, so, um, so I'm going to ask yeah. if you can just, and, and I don't know how you feel about playing the educator. Yeah, I'm cool. um, Okay, all right, good. So I just don't want to misstep. And also I, there may be things that I ask, and I, and I said this to you before, I may be a little clumsy here because I'm just learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I say anything or ask anything that's inappropriate, just feel free to call me out on it. That's how I get to learn. That's how we all get to learn. So when you say you were assigned female at birth, mm-hmm. what what does that mean? Because I feel like, cisgender people wouldn't say they don't say i was assigned this at birth right they're just like i'm i'm i mean before we even had the word cisgender i mean people would just say that some people were normal and that's that's why we have cisgender i feel like because we've created a broader lexicon so Mm -hmm. what does it mean to you to be assigned female at birth yeah so basically um it means that like when my mom had me the doctor looked at me and was like oh you have these external parts you are a girl here you go you have a baby girl and everyone like you know celebrated and smoked cigars or something yeah we were poor so probably not but like in theory we would have right uh and everyone went about treating me as though i was a girl and i always as far back as i can remember just because of your gender just because of that's it so that's it so let's just and and by treating you like a girl what does it mean to treat you like a girl uh it means that i was socialized female so i my parents put me in pink and they said this is what your name is it's a female name and it's here is what your how you're supposed to be in the world you know and they smile be a happy girl and like all the the socialization that women and girls get throughout their lives and yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so then, but then you have a, you start to have a realization when you're older around attraction mm-hmm. and you're like, wait, but I'm attracted to girls. Yeah. Okay. So then, but how do you, what is the delineation, I guess, between I'm a girl who's attracted to girls or I'm actually a boy who's been assigned female at birth and I'm attracted to girls? Yeah. It's really complicated. I don't, I think that the reason why it took me to be 31 to transition was because I, it is so complicated. And the truth is, is that I think that if I had had the language that kids have now, that I would have transitioned at like six or four or whatever. If I had had someone that, that knew that it was possible, I didn't even know the word transgender. And so I was impossible for me to, to like, I, it didn't, I was like this freak of nature in my own mind. No one else existed like me. Like something was wrong and I should just like, I was already poor and I was already, like had other things stacked against me that I couldn't be this other different thing too. Yeah. And did you feel like your grandmother was empathetic towards that? Because it feels like, I mean, it's interesting that you, you talked about it. I mean, so often when I've talked to people who, who knew that they were assigned the wrong gender at birth and, 
they didn't have many people to talk to about it. And mm-hmm. some have had really supportive, unbelievable parents, but a lot of like a lot of people didn't. So what is what was that dynamic like as a child talking to your grandmother about that? I think for her, it was this thing where she was as empathetic as she could be while also keeping me safe. I think that she was afraid and I think that she had to shut it down in order to keep me safe because in her mind, she wanted me to have, like no one wants their kid to have a harder road. Like I don't, I love my children. There's five of them. Statistically, one of them will be queer. That's just a fact. But like, I hope that they're not because life is easier when you're not, you know, like everything is made for, heteronormative people currently. And mm-hmm. so everyone wants their kids to have the easiest path com- possible for them. And I think my grandma was really just like, she was empathetic, but she also was like, this is not an option. Right. Lock it down. Got it. Okay. So, so then, so let's keep going. So that was when you were, how old you were? You were I was eight, like eight, eight maybe. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. then, so then talk to me about high school. So know. then I just decided that I was going to be really good at being a girl. Like I was like, let's, all right, double down. And I would like, I'd have friends that would like, all right, let's do this thing. We're going to give you a makeover and we'll go to the mall and we'll like pluck your eyebrows and put nail polish on you and buy you makeup and buy you a pretty outfit. Did you talk to your friends about this? No, definitely not. It was like, oh, I should try and be more girly or like, they'd be like, you'd be so pretty if, uh, but I was just this tomboy that was like really happy to sort of like fit in the middle and then realize like, oh, I'm ashamed that I don't fit the right spot and like so then I would try and be more girly and I would do those things and then uh I've sort of started going to church because my family life was a bit of a mess and like church was this like it was like a family that you like away from family and that's when it was like oh it's really not okay to be gay and it's really not okay to be who you are and it's like that's you know there was a petition at my church at the front door against gay marriage and like I knew that it like, okay, well, this is the family that I have. It doesn't matter that I'm attracted to women. It doesn't like that doesn't, it's not safe for that. This is all I have left. And so I married the pastor, at, the the youth pastor at my church when I was 19. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. You, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Okay, wait. So you married the pastor, the youth pastor? The youth pastor. He was my best friend. I like, so I moved out when I was like 16 and sort of like lived with other friends and I've lived in a car and I've done all those sorts of things. And like at 19, I was not really your typical 19 year old. Um, and so, yeah, well, yeah. well that's clear. Yeah. And, right. And so I, he was my best friend and it was like, Oh, we should date. Like, and I, to this day, I still love him like completely just not romantically. Was he the first person that you had sex with? Yeah. How was that? I remember being like, well, they made a big deal about this. I don't understand. All right. Yeah. Cool, I guess. Yeah. People really like this stuff, I guess. <laughs> like, they talk about it in songs and on the, like, <laughs> in shows. Like, sure. yeah. Okay. All right. So, 19, you're married to the youth pastor. Then we left the church promptly. Right, actually, right before we got married, we left the church. And you left the church. Why? Uh, it just, we realized that it didn't fit who we were. We had like, we were, both of us were like, we believe that gay people should have rights. And like, even though I was secretly hiding the fact that I was queer, I, we like, our belief in people was like, was just more about loving people. And we were like, this has sort of lost the mark. And right. so we left. Wow. Okay. So then what happens? 19, then, married. 
then leaving we, the church we like do the thing where we're like we'll go get good jobs and we move to the other side of the country and we um bought a house and a big suv and started having kids and yeah i had my first kid at 23 i was pregnant at 22 I had my first kid at 23 and you know owned a house and did the thing and then had another kid and then you know was a stay-at-home mom and then a work-at-home mom and started a photography career and, you know, sort of did my thing until I realized, like, every time I would have these babies because they would fill me with so much joy and, like, they would fill this hole in my heart and I would be like, oh, I have true joy and a purpose for living. And then, like, I it would sort of, like, I would get a little bit emptier and a little bit emptier and then I'd have another baby and I'd be like, oh, the world is worth living again. And... Then I, you know, I would get a little emptier and I'd try and find myself and figure out what was going on. And then I was like, well, those first two kids made us real happy. We should have a third. And so we did. And, uh, and then we had a fourth. And then the fourth one, you know, it was a sort of a traumatic birth. And the, the happiness wasn't there. Like, I loved the baby still the same way, but, like, it didn't fill the hole anymore. And that's when I realized that I had to do something to change. Okay. So now we'll hold right there and let's go back to Catherine. So Catherine, where we left off with you, you were really killing it as a beatnik in Chicago. Yeah. You were exploring sexuality. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's move from there. Um, how do you get to the point where you meet Nick? So from Chicago, I went back to Tokyo. I unexpectedly became a theater actor. Then I ended up doing voiceovers. Then I had a baby. Then I became a life coach, which I never ever thought. Wait, wait, wait. I would Let's do. go back to the baby. Who's the wait, what do you mean you had a baby? With who? With this guy I was dating. Okay. Um, we were dating and I discovered I was pregnant. And we and said how old were you? Uh, I was probably twenty eight. Okay. At this point. And he's a good guy and we weren't super serious, but we were like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's let's be a family. And you were living in Tokyo? I was living in Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was, he's a New Zealander. Okay. We were both living in Tokyo. Um, and we gave it our best shot. We tried really hard to be a family. We were doing okay at it. It wasn't a good Did you have fit. an SUV? No SUV. Did you have good paying jobs? To- no. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Tokyo, no cars. Right. Okay. Lived in a high rise. Um, and then this was 2011 and the tsunami hit. So it was the earthquake and the tsunami and it was literally the big shakeup. And I was like, I, I, have to, I have to do something. So the first thing that happened after the earthquake was that everyone who could leave Japan left immediately because no one knew what was going to happen with the radiation. So I took our little girl. Um, she How was, old? She was four. Four. Yeah, at the time. Wow. Um, with, he was like, oh my God, go, get out. Packed a suitcase, took our daughter. I flew to Portland where, guess what? My brother lived. Once again, I crashed. I'm telling you, the brother is like <laughs> yes. the glue. He's Wait, a, but what happens to the, the guy? What so happens he, to the father? Where, what happens Yeah, there? so he stayed in Japan. He flew down to one of the southern islands just to get as far away from things as he could, but he couldn't leave his job. He worked in advertising. Um, and so I went to Portland with his blessing, and it was like, well, we'll just stay a couple weeks until we find out what's going to happen with the reactors. And then it was like, oh my gosh, it's like still nobody knows. Is it safe to go back? Is the air and water poison? No one really knows. Um, and I, this strange thing happened to me when I was in Portland. I could feel my ground beneath my feet. I could like feel my body 
on the earth. And I was like, I don't ever want to leave this place. It's so, it felt so beautiful to me. And I felt so much like myself. And I told him, I was like, this is so crazy, but I want to stay. And to his credit, he's like, I, I actually think that that might be the best thing for, for our daughter. I think you should stay and we'll just, we'll figure it out. And we didn't have a plan and we didn't know what was going to happen. And in the end, he ended up staying in Tokyo and I moved to Portland with our daughter. And after about a year, we amicably separated. And so he's still a part of her life. They're connected um, across the ocean. How old is she? She is now 12. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I started a new life in Portland. Um, I had just become a life coach. This I is never, Portland, Maine? No, Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Beautiful yeah, place. So beautiful. Best, honestly, best, total side note, total tangent, tangent, but like the best gluten-free vegan pizza mm-hmm. is in Portland. It's a place <laughs> called Pie. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. The uh-huh. ice cream and the, oh my God, just <laughs> anybody who's in that city go there immediately. Amazing. Okay. Here we are. Yeah, I loved Portland. I just, I loved it in this way that like was unreasonable. Um, And I had just become a life coach. I had never had any intention of actually doing it as my job. What drew you to becoming a life coach and what made you feel qualified to be a life coach, whatever that means? So I had read these books by a woman named Dr. Martha Beck. She writes in the Oprah magazine. She's a Harvard trained sociologist. And she had written these incredible works of nonfiction, memoir and self-help. And I was like, who is this person? And she had a life coach training program. And Mm. I was like, well, I never want to do that. That's so cheesy. I hate self-help. It's the worst. Um, But I was super fascinated by her. And I was like, well, you know, being in Tokyo, there weren't so many things that I could could do because it was all long distance. And this was virtual. So I was like, well, I'm just going to take it. Well, the thing is, I have Tell Me Your Secrets like tattooed on my forehead in invisible ink. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as I did the life coach training, I was like, oh, I've always been a life coach. I just now maybe can get paid for right. it and I actually know what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm in Portland. I, have, I know no one in the city except for my brother and his wife. Um, I have this four-year-old and I have, like, I'm a newly minted life coach. And so I'm like, well... I'm just going to see what happens. It was a totally stupid idea. You should never do this. It's not easy to make a living as a life coach. But I just went for it. I rented a tiny little apartment. I bought a couch from Ikea. I went to Goodwill and bought some silverware. I bought a car. I enrolled my daughter in kindergarten. And we started this new life. So we were really, really happy in Portland. We both flourished and bloomed. Four years later, I go to speak at a conference. Where was the conference? Uh, in Pennsylvania, okay, in the mountains, in the Poconos. Uh-huh. And it was at this summer camp, which is like my worst nightmare. But I go to speak at this conference. Uh, yeah. And there is this person there who's a, my friend who runs the conference is like, oh, you have to meet my friend. And I meet the most delightful human I've ever laid eyes on. And it, it was me. <laughs> okay. It was Nick. And at the time, Nick had a baby with him, our next to youngest, um, and was pregnant with another kid. And I have been with both men and women. Um, I used to call myself bisexual. I would now say that I'm pansexual, but I didn't know that word back then. Right. Um, but obviously, did we have that word back then? I didn't know it if it probably somebody did. Right. Um, but there was nothing sexual or romantic between us, but we just like fell in love with each other and like immediately became best friends. Just, just to hold us off yeah. for one second, just so that we can define what pansexual means. Ah. What is, what, what to you, what does pansexual mean? 
Well, I'm probably not going to say the correct definition, but it just well, means just that... Well, it's just to you. And it maybe, just means... Do you want to answer this To question? me, it's that I fall in love with a person and really their gender doesn't come into play. Gender or genitals. Gender or genitals. Because those are different, right? right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, did, I was just going to say that I always say it's you fall in love with the people, not the parts. Okay. You fall in love with the people, not the parts. That's great. I love that. Okay. All right. So just to be clear, and again, this is where this might get clumsy. I just want to... You, Nick, at that point is presenting as a woman. Yes. Right? And at that point, your pronouns are she and her? Yeah, correct. Okay. 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 So, um, Mm -hmm. super cute. So (laughs) cute. Okay. So, but you, but married. Right. So, were you feeling drawn to her, like, as, like, and, uh, like, in a feminine way? Like, were you drawn to her as like, this is a woman that I'm attracted to? Or was there, I don't know, like, you know, like. Well, because Nick was pregnant and married. Yeah. um, That really didn't come into play. Okay. Like if someone had said like, are you attracted to this person? I would have been like, yeah, but you know, that's okay. I can be attracted to right, someone but and not She's clearly off limits. Off limits, like right. clearly straight. Although she's I don't a, really understand that, right. but okay, whatever. They seem right. happy. Kid number four. Okay. Right. You know. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you meet Nick mm-hmm. and you have this moment where you feel like this is just the most lovely, the yeah. most beautiful human being. Yeah. Okay. We so, tell each other all of our secrets within about 10 minutes. And what secrets were shared? Those are our secrets. Well, but did you share with her your no, secret secrets? No, I don't know. I would say that like uh, we connected really quickly. We were like best friends very quickly. And we talked about like the deep stuff rather than the surface crap really quickly. But I instantly was like, who is this woman? She is the most beautiful creature I've ever seen in my whole entire life. All I want to do is hold her hand. Her lips are so fantastic. Like these are like weird. Like and I was like, that's strange, but it's fine because she's clearly straight. Look at her. Uh, she's so femme. Had and you ever been with a woman? No, I just had been with my pastor ex pastor husband. That's the only sexual only, partner of any yeah. kind you'd ever had. Mm-hmm. Wow. And how old are you at this point? I am thirty at this point. No, how old? No, I would have been twenty eight, twenty nine. 29. Okay. Yeah. So you're 29. You've never been with a woman. You've only been with a man, and you're holding in all of these real. This real you, mm-hmm. essentially, yeah, that your own partner is totally unaware of, totally correct? unaware of, and okay. I think that like I wasn't even able to say the words out loud. They were like just like thoughts that I was like, I wonder if, yeah. wow, that's a strange feeling. Well, it's okay. I can feel that way about her because she's straight, so it's safe. And like it, it was this very like safe way of us just being best friends. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you meet, and then what happens? You want to you want to take it here, Nick? Oh, uh, okay. So we meet because you're there. You're there. You've got many many babies. I have a baby. You've got my a baby. A um, baby on the way. Yeah. I don't know. What are you wearing? What are your clothes? What are you, what, uh, what is the what is what does Nick wear at that point in in her I life? remember exactly. Which in retrospect is telling. You he would he would wear at the time Nick was she, but Nick uh, he would wear like t shirts and these like loosish jeans and gray converse with bright pink laces that was adorable okay that's what i was wearing apparently got it okay okay uh and we just we like we just clung to each other the whole time and i was like you're my new best friend i want to spend all my time with you this is a strange feeling okay uh and then i was like you should come and visit me and bring your kid and like we'll hang out and so like maybe four months later 
uh, yeah, we will hang out and I'll take photos for your website. It'll be fun because I'm a photographer. So that was my like in, like that was my excuse. Like, oh, but yeah. your life coach website. I'll yeah, take the photos coach. for you. You're going to be like the best. You're going to have the best life coach the website best ever. Life, like, come yeah. to, where are you living at this Calgary. point? You're, you're in Calgary. Yeah. Okay, so I'm in Calgary. Come to Calgary. You've got your baby, or who's not a baby anymore. She's like eight. Who's eight. Yeah. Okay, okay. So then so, what happens? So then she does. And and it was like this crazy thing. It was our other friend was supposed to come with and then she had to cancel. And so it ended up just being like there was no buffer. It was just the two of us and our kids. And wait, wait where was and your my husband? Hu- my husband was there. Like uh, I picked her from the airport and we came in and he instantly was like, I don't like this person. Like you could tell instantly that he was like, I don't like her, which is like he likes everyone. He can get along with anyone. Wow. And he instantly had this vibe of like. There's something about her I don't like. And wow. you, you brought him a bottle of whiskey. You were trying to be like the nice friend, like, you know, and he just was like, he wouldn't have said it, but I could feel right away that he was like, mm. uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, and, you know, he went off to work and we hung out and we, um, we hung out with our kids and we did all the things and we just had this like really great time that was completely platonic. But then I also felt like so sad when she left. That I was like, I just don't understand why I want to spend all of my time with her. Were you feeling a sexual charge? I definitely felt like completely attracted to her. That was, we were driving in the car to go do the photo shoot. And I was like, you just have the nicest lips. Like they're like just so nice. And I like remember being like, what the fuck are you saying? That's not a thing (laughs) friends say to each other. Like that's like so ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous. Like, uh, I once sent her a text on Valentine's that was like, 10 reasons I think you're so great and I love you so much. And, and, and like, she thought, like, oh, my ma- happy married friend is pitying me because they're sending me a Valentine's to this single thing. And I was like, no, I'm secretly, like, I love you so much. I just want you to know how special I think you are. And, like, in retrospect, that's so bad. That's not a thing you're supposed to do. <laughs> it's embarrassing and shameful. Uh, oh, that's I, had, I had no chill. Okay. So, how did you feel in this moment? Uh, I just felt so much tenderness for this person who had like come through so much, uh, I don't know, so many trials and tribulations already. And what trials and tribulations were you aware of? We Be- talked a lot about our childhoods. Okay. Yeah. And so more knew- of like the socioeconomic stuff and yeah. growing up that way and like in, yeah. the, rel- in the church and all yes. that. But mm-hmm. like, we, but we didn't get into like the real. We did not talk about sex or sexuality at all. Right. Yeah. Or identity. Off limits. It was like we avoided it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting mm-hmm. how the, the reasons why we, we avoid those mm-hmm. conversations. Okay. So let's just get to the point where things change. So then I want to go visit her in Portland and I bring my baby because we I've convinced her to hire my web development company to redo her whole website, do a whole rebrand, do the whole thing. And it justifies me flying to a different country to go do all this work and hang out with... And, uh, it was just this thing where like we were having a great time together and I, I was like absolutely falling in love with her. And I was like, well, this is weird. I, how much time had elapsed now? What's so about a year to be a year. In a okay. Bit. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and I just was like laying in bed, like so late at night after we had gone out with all of her friends and had a bunch of wine and talked about a bunch of stuff. And I just, um, I was like, I am so gay and I am so unhappy. And I like, there was a time where we were sitting at this restaurant and she like touched the back of like my neck and it was just this, just for like, just, for, like, just this brush. And I was like, literally 
like my whole world changed. It was like I like my body came alive in a way that it had never been alive before. And I was like, I can't live this other way anymore. And so I sent her a text being like, I hope this doesn't change anything, but I need you to know that I'm gay and I'm going to have to end my marriage. Like, had you ever said that to a human being ever? No. Did you know that you were gay? Like, like, was that like something that like, I mean, you said we talked about being eight and nine, that you mm-hmm. knew you had these feelings, but they'd been repressed and you had created this life. Like, is it something that you'd really truly like accepted, acknowledged within yourself? It was something I tried to deny. It was this thing that like kept coming up and I was like, nope. And I pushed it back down yeah. and then it would come back up and I, nope. And I would push it back down. And I just, I couldn't let myself acknowledge it because I'm a, I'm a, uh, a quick start with his, and I, I'm just that person that like once I say something, it has to happen. There's no once I put it in motion, yeah. there's no stopping it. Yeah. And I know that about myself. And so I just was like, shut that down. Well, it's like physics. A thing in motion stays in motion. Yeah. A thing at rest stays at rest. Okay, so you send that text. And then I lay awake counting the cars that passed the window all night long until she walked in at seven in the morning and was like, Oh, Wait, she walked into into the room that I was like I was staying in her daughter's room, and because um, oh, you're staying in, in her house, with- you send this text. Had you gone to bed? Had you just yeah. hadn't? Okay, here, here, here let's yeah. give her the mic. Okay, so you wake up. So I wake up. Right, Nick's counting cars. Yeah. You're laying there. You wake up. You turn on your phone. First, I'm like, oh, that was too much wine last night, and then I look at my phone, and I'm like, oh, oh. Nick's gay. Of course Nick is gay. Okay. This makes things complicated. Uh, I want to be the supportive friend. They just came out to me. I am attracted to this person. And now suddenly this is in play in a way that it wasn't before. But no matter what, I'm just, I'm not going to hit on the person who just came out. That is like really bad form. Also married. Okay. Okay. So I like get my shit together. I go downstairs and I'm like, I don't remember what I said. You said, Oh, you're o- you're going to be okay. And then she took one step into the room and she said, you know, I'm bi, right? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, and she, then she walked over and I was sitting in the bed with our, with my, our son now, uh, with our, my baby. And I, I like just looked up to her and she, and she kissed me on the forehead and said, but don't worry, I won't fall in love with you. And like my whole heart shattered. And I was like, no. Uh, Why did you say that? What do you think was coming up? I think that this visit, there was this new tension between us that I was feeling. And I wanted to be really careful to respect Nick's marriage and not like mess anything up. Um, And I also feel like when someone comes out, it's such a vulnerable moment. And so I wanted to like not be this creepy predator. I wanted to just be really a safe person. But it kind of came out weird. (laughs) (laughs) I really wanted her to be a creepy predator. What was happening there? Okay, so what happens next? So then it was that thing where like we had this really uncomfortable day of like awkwardness. We're like we're sort of like hinting at things, but we're like not, and we're we're like trying to like keep it together, but like we're weak. And then at some point, we're sitting on a bench and. I was like, I have to end my marriage and I'm going to end up, I'm going to have to blow my life up because I can't live like this. And she sat beside me and said, well, I don't think you should blow your life up. But if you do, um, whenever you're taking suitors, I'd like to be first in line. 
and we were sitting side by side and I reached over and I put my pinky finger on her pinky finger and we have been together since. Oh my God. Okay. So now everybody's crying. Um, okay. So, but we still have more coming out to do. Then life got so messy. <laughs> yeah. Now so like, messy. we still have a lot more coming out to do mm-hmm. because you're not a gay woman. No. Right. So, so okay. Yeah, so what so happens next? I went back to Calgary and I left my husband. Uh, and what did you tell him? I told him that I was a lesbian and that I couldn't be with him anymore. And he was like, uh, well, we know, like, what do you mean? We have this life. We have this stuff. Like, we can make something work. And I just, I had to just be like, I can't do this because I, like, I love you, but I am not in love with you. I am not romantically in love with you. And I am so grateful for the life that we have, but it's not true to who I am and I can't do this anymore. And it got super, super, super messy. And there's no handbook on like how to leave your husband for a woman. Uh, Although that is a great title for a book. I feel like maybe I could write it. I think that you should write that. Okay. Maybe. Uh, (laughs) We'll turn it into a show. It'll it'll be be a whole thing. How to leave your husband for a woman. That's super. Wow. There should be some sort of handbook because it happens a lot. Um, And it might end up just being the title of this episode. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) But who knows? Who knows? So uh, it got messy, but we did the best we could. And we had a long distance relationship for 17 months. Okay. And when does this, when did, did, in that visit where we did pinky to pinky, we're going to be together. Like, did you explore, when was your first time exploring a woman? Like, and I, cause I'm assuming this was the first woman that you explored with, right? Nick? Yes. Okay. So what was, so what happened is, is it something that you were open to talking about? Not open to talking about? Uh, I think that like we, I will say that like, I made sure that I was into it. I'm like, I'll, I'll be honest and be like, I have like, I wasn't going to go ruin everything that I had if like I thought that I was attracted to women, but then I kissed one and was like, that's repulsive. Right. Like, so there was a little bit of like, you know, figuring it out, but also a test drive, a test drive. Yeah. Uh, But also (laughs) wanting to like not be a terrible person. I get it. That makes sense. Do the right thing. And so it was like, I had to go home and immediately, right. You know, but it was messy. Okay. All right, I get it. Okay, so so now you're in a long distance romantic sexual relationship with a woman as a woman. Yeah. Okay. So had you yet talked to her about actually? I feel like I was assigned the wrong gender at birth. Not yet. It was a thing that I was still like. That's like the deepest darkest secret, right. you know. Um, but I went home, like, and I left my husband, and I threw out all the clothes that I had that were like, quote unquote, girl clothes, like anything that looked like that. I was like, this isn't comfortable. It have you read "She Wants It," the Jill Soloway book? I have it. Oh my god, read it! You're gonna, we can't you're, wait. You're gonna love it. It's amazing. But yeah, go on. Okay. Uh, and I, so I, I like donated all of it. Every dress I owned, everything that I mm-hmm. owned that felt feminine. I somehow it was like having someone be in a relationship with me where I got to be the more masculine person allowed me to get rid of like to step into that a little bit more. And every time we were together, every time that like I let her be feminine, I got to be like masculine and it just sort of felt better and better. And she sort of was the one that noticed more than me. Okay. That's it. So did you bring it up? 
you know, it wasn't like it was one conversation. It was more like peeling an onion, you know? As it is with any human being about yeah, yeah, sure. who they are. Yeah. So I would say probably we had dozens of conversations and each time we would sort of go a level deeper, you know, and you'd be like, I really, I've never felt feminine. And I'd be like, well, I don't, I don't need you to be feminine, you know? And you'd be like, in some ways I don't even really feel like a girl. And I'd be like, okay, so, so don't be a girl. Like, you know, call yourself whatever you want. And then, and that was all sort of, that was fine and good and interesting. And, and then there was the moment where Nick was like, actually, I, I, I don't feel, like, actually, there's nothing ambiguous about this for me. I, yeah, I'm not androgynous. I feel like I'm a guy. Wow. You said that out loud. Yeah, it was the scariest thing I had said out loud because I here I was, I had finally found this person that I was like, oh my God, this like the whole like everything's in color all of a sudden. Like the 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 birds are singing and like they're like I can talk to them or some stuff. Like I'm like Snow White out of this. Like this is fantastic. Like everything is going great. Mm. And this thing about me, what if it changes that? Like I have this perfect thing I've hoped for my whole life and like if I'm honest with my truth maybe like that will be too much wow and so it was this really scary like I'll ju- I can just say the next like syllable almost like just the next closer thing and I, it got to the spot where I just I couldn't I couldn't not say it anymore and it was just like this is who I am and I, I can't live any other way okay Wow. And, and how did you receive that? And what was your, and, and also, and the next question to tie into that is like, had you ever had an experience with anybody who identified as trans, transgender? Is that something that was part of your you know, universe at that point? No, I had been with women, um, but they were cis women, cis gay women. Right. And I really didn't know anything So we were sort of having this conversation in the dark. Like, I don't even know that I would have known to say, oh, that means you're transgender. Right. You know, it was just like this wild conversation we were having where where new truths kept being unearthed. And I was scared. You know, I want to be like, yes, I was this amazing supportive partner and I said all the right things. And that's totally not true. I actually, turns out I said most of the wrong things that you were supposed to say, but I didn't know. Like what? What would be the wrong thing like to I say? Like I said, I was like, oh, but honey, I love your breasts, you know? Uh-huh. And I was like, you cannot cut them off me fast enough. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I had a, we were so in love and I had just put in motion this like cross country move. I was packing up my life in Portland. I was moving myself and my daughter to a country, navigating immigration. Nick was getting a divorce. Like life was so crazy. And then this big truth opened up and it never, ever changed my love for Nick, but it just scared the shit out of me. I was so afraid. I had no idea like, but what does that mean? And who will you become? You know, and, and you do a Google search about, well, really anything in the world, it'll scare the living daylights out of you. But you know, I, I started researching and I learned about like there's hormones involved and some people want to have surgery. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like I just met you. I just found you. Like you are the love of my life. I'm 
almost 40 years old. I've never been in love before, truly. And I just met you and I just found you and I'm just about to move to another country for you and you're going to turn yourself into a different person? Right. What the fuck? <laughs> right. Okay. All right. So, 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 and this is, I mean, you, you brought up the breasts and, and the other things. When we had talked yesterday, I had asked about your transition and if you were post-op or if you had ever, and you said no. So maybe you could, you hadn't had any surgery. Is, so, so I haven't had uh, gender reassignment surgery is, is typically bottom surgery. Okay. So, so yeah, let's yeah. break that down. Like yeah. what that, like at a technical mm-hmm. level, like what a transition looks like, because what she's talking about being afraid of is, is this transition and what that looks like. So, so everyone's what, afraid. Right. Of, so think, what right? does, well, transition in general in all areas of our life can be scary. This type of transition is very different and it's also very avant-garde in, in the modern world. A lot of people are unfamiliar with it. And so what does that mean? What did transition look like for you? Yeah. So for me, it looked like socially transitioning. So using different pronouns, it, I switched from uh, her, she, her, hers to he, him, his. Mm-hmm. And um, I switched from my birth name to Nick. And we had uh, conversations with our kids about... Um, like we had the conversations with them first uh, with the guidance of a therapist and all those, like we were super prepared to have those conversations. But the first conversation with the kids is like, we're getting divorced and mom is going to have a girlfriend. So that was really a earlier conversation. How did they handle that? How did you navigate that? Yeah, we had the conversation of divorce and it was like, uh, and and my ex was like, it was very important to him that it was like I was taking responsibility for it. And so I did that I no longer was in love with him and that I loved him very much as their, like as a, as a person and, and as, um, like as their dad and we would always be friends, but like that I wasn't romantically in love with him. And our kids would always say that like, Oh, is that your honey? And that was like their way of being like, Oh, your honey is the person you're in love with. And so I was like, so dad's not going to be my honey anymore. And like, that was how they got it. And they were like upset, but they also were like, okay, like, you know, it, it was, the, the two younger ones were so little that it, they didn't know anything. And the other ones were five and six, I think at the time. And so no six and seven. Um, and so it would have been, it was just this like, okay, like that's what's happening. And, and Catherine wasn't a part of the conversation at that point. She wasn't a part of the conversation until later. We let them have the one thing. Right. So the one thing is this relationship is over. Yeah. Then the next thing is I have a new relationship and it's with a woman. So my eldest at the time's daughter said, um, well, when you get, when you have a new honey, it's going to be a girl, isn't it? And I was like, how did she know that? She just did. Wow. Yeah. And I said, yeah, when I, whenever I get a new honey, it it will be a, a girl. And she was like, okay. And that was the like conversation behind it. That like that was really it, and okay. and if kids don't have these stories of like what's normal and what's not normal and what's allowed and what's not allowed, right. they actually don't care. Right. Well, we write those stories for them, mm-hmm. so you're writing a new story for them, yeah. and that's it. That's what's normal. Yeah, totally. So wow. then we like consciously uncoupled. We nested in the house for a little while, where like we sort of moved in and out, and the kids stayed the same. And then eventually, I moved out into a different house, and he stayed there with them. We wanted them to have one of the houses that was really stable, and like everything was the same in one place. And started something new in the other, and um, and then like a year and a like a year after that, then Catherine and our 
our oldest moved from the states to Canada. And then, and then, but this is so. But now that's the moving to Canada. That now all of a sudden your transition is coming. About. So yeah. So that's that was. There was three phases. So first we like I got divorced. Then we blended, and I waited uh, until after they had moved and we had blended, and we were like, we knew that we had like gotten through like the roughest sort of patch of right. all of that before I started hormones because I wanted to make sure that we wanted to make sure that like any of the bumps that we had along the way were based on our bumps, not based on like, I've started hormones. That makes me like my mood did change when I started hormones, like things, you know, it's like going through puberty all over again. And so we wanted to make sure that our, that we were like giving our relationship a container to thrive in. And so we just sort of waited. Amazing. Okay, so how long does that transition take? So then we the biological I, transition. Yeah. I understand the social transition yeah. is one thing, but the bi- going on the hormones and so I started hormones in September of two thousand and sixteen. Um, I it doesn't like you don't nothing looks different for like three months, right? And even then, nothing really looks different on the outside. It's like my voice started to change, and all the subtle differences were so like. Maybe other people would notice them if they hadn't seen me in a month or two, but like I didn't notice them. Mm-hmm. It, it probably took about eight to ten months before I was consistently being gendered as he. Like out in the world. Yeah. So I take a, a shot of testosterone every week um, on Wednesdays. and Still? Still, yeah. You have to take it forever um, because I don't produce testosterone. Right. So for me to have it in my body it goes in um and i just i take my shot weekly and just part of my life and yeah and then um i had top surgery in october so i had a double mastectomy um wow this past october yeah okay so that's recent it takes a long t- like it's a bit of a wait in canada because you know healthcare is free but it right an elective surgery is right yeah um and so i only had top surgery in october and um, I don't know that I'll ever have bottom surgery. I think that that's like a, that's a personal choice. Um, it's, there's like only one clinic that does it in Canada you have to go to Montreal for it. It's very, it's like a year and a half long process. Right. It's the three surgery process. It's super invasive. Um, and I don't know that like for me that that's the right choice, but I don't know that it's not either. And so now I'm going to ask a mm-hmm. question that like is graphic yeah. and I just I you know feel free to answer or correct mm-hmm. me you are in a relationship with somebody who identifies as a man and has a vagina right so how does that like do you how do you feel about your sexual dynamic like if there's a bottom surgery then I, I there's no vagina then you have a, a penis well, how does that impact your so yeah like edu- I don't know you know yeah, and I don't so, want to cross over mm-hmm. any lines but these are just things that mm-hmm. I think you know how do, how do you navigate this and what does that mean to your dynamic as a couple sexually yeah so um it, different like bottom surgery there's so many different options okay. lots of people choose to keep um like their vaginal opening lots of people choose to not like they choose to have a vaginectomy some people choose to have a phalloplasty which is like the creation of um, a penis with your own skin um, from your arm or leg some people choose to have metoidoplasty which is just basically a freeing of the clit is the like actually what that means in i think latin i think it's like nine inches long so there's a lot to free yeah it's good right (laughs) um so it's that thing where like there, there are op- there are lots of different options, yeah. and, and everyone's chooses different things based on 
their anatomy and what their goals are with bottom surgery. Some people, what the most important thing is, is like aesthetically how it looks and can they pee. Some people care about sexual function. Some people care just about aesthetics. It just sort of depends on right. the person. So what do you care about? So, I mean, I feel like I care about, I care mostly about sex if we're being honest. Like, yes, yeah. I'm like, that is what I would care about most because Sex is great. It's I fantastic. get it. I mean, these two, I, just to be thing. honest, we had an event last night. I met these two because I said, what comes up for you? And I say the word sex. And they both said this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I get it. So sex is like a real glue for the two of you. It's a meaningful thing that you share. And like, so your sexual organs and how you use them and, and, and connect with each other through them is a significant thing. So if you yeah. do, what does this look like for you? So for me, it, it, it's complicated. It sort of is like, always in flux you know like um depending on my dysphoria which is if you don't know what that is because no one usually does it basically means that like it's like the i'm like i like to think of it as like the emotional uh heartache of not having your body be the way that you imagine it and see it and like i right. look, at, look in the mirror and i don't look the way that i imagine myself and there's a lot of like shame and heartache in that yeah. um and so depending on where my dysphoria is, depending on how I feel about my body at that time is sort of dependent upon our sex life. And the hard thing for me is that for me, our, like, uh, my, my like number one love language is physical touch and my second is quality time. So like great long sex is like the perfect way to love me. Uh, <laughs> but it, and it's the way that I feel connected and it's the way that I feel like I'm a very physical person in general in the world. And, um, and like, let's be honest, like I went, I'm going through the same puberty that like a 14 year old boy goes through. I'm going through it at 30 something and I'm going through it in a very intense, like hyper, right. like I went from like boy to man in eight months. Right. That's not how people typically do it. Only if you're Jewish, you um, go from boy to a man and just, you hit just, 13 and that's it. That's it it, it's it just takes a, literally one day. It's one, it's, an evening, <laughs> it's amazing. It's, yeah. So. It's so great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would have loved that. Right. I like. I should have just. Right. If only I had a Jewish mother, right. I, everything would be better. Uh, it's like a biological bar mitzvah. Yeah. In some sense, what you're yeah, experiencing. Exactly. I get it. Okay. So like, but like, my sex drive was just off the charts, and it, which is complicated when you're like, this is what makes me feel better, and I I feel like when we have good sex, that like fulfilling sex, that I feel like um, I feel more secure in myself and who I am, and like as a person and as a man and all sorts of like whatever socialization messages that are screwed up inside yeah. of that toxic masculinity, they're there regardless. I can't fight them. I, I, I'm, I can fight them, but they're there. Um, and so our sex just looks really different on a really regular basis. It changes. And yeah, well, you had mentioned, you know, you'd mentioned about the, how the sexual dynamic has really um, supported your transition and stepping into your masculinity. And we had talked a little bit about submission and domination mm -hmm. and, and, and your story is so rich with so much that I don't think we have to go deep into that. But I think that like, I just curious to know in terms of you really stepping into this, you know, your, your masculine nature. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I love it. We had referenced, we'd referenced, uh, Layla Martin yeah. and Layla says something so profound on our podcast that she says, like, she doesn't say that like yeah, anybody makes anybody come. She says that I, I, uh, I think that we can support people in realizing or stepping into their orgasmic nature. <laughs> 
she's just yeah. like, she's like so profound. And so I think that right now you're really stepping into your masculine nature, that this is just part of who you are and you're just really, you know, stepping into it and that the sexual expression has really supported that and, 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 uh, facilitated that. So how, how has the sex, how has the sex done that? How have you stepped more into your masculinity through sexuality? Uh, I think that, I mean, I'm like, maybe it's, I'm like, she's a bit of a pillow queen. So I feel like, <laughs> uh, she is. What is a pillow queen? You could speak to that, Catherine. <laughs> a pillow queen means that I'm a little bit lazy in bed. I like to just sort of lie back and enjoy it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> they make him do a lot of the work. Okay. But you know, it works out for both of us. Okay. Yeah. If she's that, like, she likes a little bit of chase. She likes to be pursued. And I am, like, all about it. I'm like, this is fantastic. This is, like, I, these are all my, like, childhood boy fantasies. Let's do it. This is fantastic. This is all of it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the more that, like, I got to be the pursuer and the dominant one and like the more masculine traits, stereotypical masculine traits, the more that like, I was like, Ooh, I like that. Let's go further. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. It's amazing. Okay. So the way I really like to close this is, you know, one thing you said to me yesterday that really just, it really resonated and I think was something very important to share was around the fear of not being loved. Yeah, I think as a trans person, every every person that I have met as a trans person, or um, so whether they're trans themselves or questioning their their gender identity, or their parents of trans kids, or their partners of a trans person, that like they every the the echo is the same, which is that we are so afraid that like we are not lovable, that like we're too different, we don't fit the mold of what people want or need and that we have our own like hangups and shame on our ourselves that we're like we're such a burden that we're just so incredibly unlovable and the truth is is like there is love like i look at my wife and she loves the crap out of me and there's no doubt about it oh she does look at how she's looking at you yeah like she she loves me and i it like her love is the thing that allowed me to heal. Her love is the thing that allowed me to be myself. Her love and her safety and like the container of our relationship has been the most profound thing in my life because it's this like, I believe that I'm lovable now and I didn't before. Wow. Okay. So now Catherine, I guess, um, so crazy. It makes you cry Aww. or something like that. It's just like, <laughs> I do. I love the crap. Oh my though. God. It's just like, <laughs> I do. Oh God. Um, so you're, much. you're like the most lovable ever. Uh, right? okay. So Catherine, so, but you two have been on your own journey and yeah. like figuring out how lovable you are and like how, I guess, how has this exploration with Nick, um, how has this reshaped your mental model of what love looks like? I was so surprised to fall in love. I was almost 40. I was so happy on my own. And I just fell so madly in love with this human. I mean, we will say things like, you're the love of all my lives. You're my soulmate. Like, we are just so cheesy over the top like that. I know. We have matching tattoos. No, 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 no. no. We do. Hold we on, have matching on. tattoos. I have to show you something. Oh, it's just so crazy. You just said that. Literally. Literally. This is what I wrote this morning. So in my notes on my phone, I woke up this morning and wrote, you are the love of my lives, uh, my soulmate. It's just wild. Yeah. Okay. So we have this thing that we say to each other, which is always and forever and even after that. And we both got an even after that. 
tattooed on us. We have matching tattoos. Oh, okay. So maybe that's the book title. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But I was so surprised. Um, And then this love keeps taking shapes that I didn't expect. You know, I did not expect to move to Canada and become a suburban mom of five. That was not in my my plan. Um, I didn't expect that my beloved girlfriend was going to become my husband. I I did not see that coming, you know? I didn't think that, you know, our early sex was so exploratory and we were really learning new things together. Um, And that continues to evolve, right? Like Nick's body has changed. Our relationship has changed. We parent five kids and run two businesses and like life is crazy and full and things happen. And so... I think it will keep evolving. And even the way that we have sex keeps changing. And sometimes it's really good and beautiful and healing for both of us. And sometimes it's really complicated and it's fraught, you know, when we hurt each other's feelings or things don't go the way that we, we wanted to. And, and one of us spirals, like it's not all sunshine and daisies, but God, it's so beautiful and it's so deep and rich. And I think the thing is that like, we just keep coming back to each other, you know, like we'll have, We'll have a hard week or a hard night or we'll have a fight or we'll have sex and something goes wrong for one of us. We get triggered about something, (laughs) you know, and so sometimes this thing that that brings us so close can can also sometimes send us even farther apart. And it's devastating when that happens, you know, and we just keep coming back to each other. We just keep trying to come home to each other. Okay. All right. Thank God the two of you found each other and thank God that I came to Marfa, Texas to meet you because I truly believe that like that's why I came here for this trip was to really connect with the two of you, to learn from you and to have this moment where we could share this story. Um, Thank you so much for sharing what you shared. I'm the most grateful uh, and um, here we go. Thank you for listening to Touchpoint. You can learn more about us at lovetouchpoint.com and follow us on Instagram at at lovetouchpoint. Have an inspired day and we'll see you next week.